Welcome to the podcast of ideas. I'm Rob Lyons. Well, it's just over 12 hours since the polls closed in the UK general election, and we've got the team together to discuss what was a surprising result, to say the least. When Theresa May called the election in April, it was widely seen as opportunistic, despite her stated desire to increase the government's slender overall majority in order to strengthen her negotiating hand. Labour was an unelectable mess, it was thought, and the only question was how big the Conservative majority would be. Even with the polls getting closer in the past two or three weeks, it still looked like May would be returned with an increased majority at least, if not the landslide initially predicted. In the event, the Conservatives have lost their overall majority. As we speak, with one constituency still to declare, the Conservatives have won 318 seats, eight short of a majority, with 42.4% of the vote. Labour have 261 seats from 40% of the vote. The biggest losers of the night in terms of seats were the SNP, who lost 21 of their 56 seats. The Conservatives will now try to form a minority government supported by the Democratic Unionists. That will allow them to present a Queen's speech and a budget, but just how stable that arrangement will be is anyone's guess. And the fact that May's attempt to secure a stronger mandate has failed could have implications for the Brexit negotiations, which are due to start in 10 days' time. So, we've got plenty to talk about. Why did May's gamble fail? What's behind Labour's relative success? What does the SNP's decline mean for Scottish independence? And what does it all mean for Brexit? Above all, when are we all going to get some sleep? <laughs> <laughs> Who'd like to kick us off? OK, I, I have had no sleep, so I'll start. Um, I, I think that, that um, one of the disturbing things about what I'm discussing with people today are people, Tory voters, supporters largely, who said she should never have called this election. You know, what a disaster, what a stupid idea. But actually, it was a really good idea to call the election or there was nothing wrong with it. And I don't go along with the idea that it was an opportunist move and I thought that Theresa May's announcement of the election was pitch perfect in terms of ensuring that the democratic mandate of Brexit was seen through. It's just that after that pitch-perfect speech, she didn't say anything like that again throughout the whole of the campaign. And in fact, rather than it being a Brexit election, it was the Tories themselves who took the eye off the ball and tried to throw a million other things into the mix. So that's one of the things that's gone wrong for the Tories. Um, And then I think just very quickly, because there's loads to discuss in this, I think as time has gone on, and I must have surprises anyone else it became apparent that there was some dynamic around Jeremy Corbyn that this wasn't a PR stunt that he was attracting large numbers and that although one could argue oh he's just talking to the converted they're just his supporters and so on it felt as though something exciting was happening particularly in the last week and a half which in view of the fact there was two terrorist outrages in the midst of all this I mean it's not as though it's not been serious matters Um, actually just generated the same sort of political atmosphere, ironically, that there was around Brexit. I don't want to say it's the same, of course it wasn't, but there was something of that politics is real, something's happening, maybe we can change things. And to uh, Corbyn's credit, he took advantage of that, and every time he took advantage of it, May, uh, the technocrat, um, hid and her team deployed Project Fear and safety and stability 
exactly the same tactics used by Remain that had failed so badly when they used them uh, against the electorate. Yeah, I think it was uh, just on, on the initial reactions, it was ironic that it was the uh, Labour Party and, and some of the more liberal media whose immediate response was uh, very much to be against the election. I mean, one Guardian journalist, if I remember rightly, called it a, a potential coup, just be very active having an election. Uh, and there was all that talk in the, in the immediate uh, days after she, she announced the election of, of democracy being raked, and there was very much a sentiment against having, having an election at all. So I think... Um, I agree. It was. It, it's. It's been a very worthwhile, invigorating, even uh, uh, process to go through having this discussion. And I. I agree that um, it's not exactly the same as Brexit. But you do get the impression that what's been going on across the course of the last six weeks is very much Brexit inspired, and in that Brexit seems to have opened up a space for discussion that wasn't previously there. And there's been all sorts of. Uh, aspects of the, this election where people seem to have dived into discussions that wouldn't necessarily even have, uh, have been on the agenda before. So even things like um, after the bombings, the security discussion, I felt, uh, especially after London Bridge, was a very different discussion to the one that we would have had before, where there was actually started to be some discussion about Islamist terror and uh, you know, a more nitty-gritty uh, response, as well as the, the more, what we're more used to, the kind of uh, security uh, type of discussion. So I think it's very interesting. Um, I, I think one of the things that really stands out for me is, is uh, see, seeing yesterday uh, people burn newspapers. I just thought was one of the most uh, revolting aspects of, of, of this election. And what the results have proved is, actually, in, in actual fact, that whole sentiment that seems to have exi existed right the way through, that uh, the media uh, and is, is largely in support of the Tory party and therefore the result is just a foregone conclusion because everybody will just completely soak up everything that they say, has been proved to be completely completely wrong and people have uh, proved to have minds of their own and be able to think through for themselves what it is that they want. Yeah, I would say that the most striking thing is how the Conservatives have completely lost it from the way that, that Claire correctly presented it at the beginning when they were so far ahead in the opinion polls and Theresa May clearly laid out what was happening. But when you have something like Brexit, which is a big democratic moment being led by people who initially didn't believe in it and once they were converted still had a very, May and people around her still had a very technocratic outlook. They were unable to articulate it or take people with them over the course of a campaign and the whole thing more or less dissolved. They made many other mistakes as well in relation to their manifesto and various other ill thought out things. But in relation to Brexit, which is what it was around then, um, they lost it. And Corbyn gained the dynamic through the way he campaigned um, and through uh, getting a certain momentum. I mean, I, I, we'll go on to discuss the result itself, I guess. Although I would say that Corbyn did relatively well, certainly considering what people expected at the beginning, but he still lost comfortably and I think there's a balance to be got there when, uh, uh, when discussing it. Uh, but I do think in addition that the anti-Brexit, Liberal Democrats, that idea we're going to block Brexit failed very early. That wasn't the mood. 
but the, we're going to relativise or revise Brexit and maybe through the Labour Party it can all become one great big fudge has the whole things merged together and that's I would say somewhere where we are now at that process beginning so uh, uh, whilst I like seeing people being enthusiastic I'm a lot less uh, uh, optimistic about the whole Corbyn phenomena than maybe other people have, have indicated. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the, the whole sort of um, setting out of, uh, of the stall initially was um, a reasonably positive thing. And although I said in my introduction, people were talking about it as opportunistic, I, don't, I, I think that at most was just a side issue for her. That, you know, you know, the, the polls looked good, so why not? But there were, there were deeper reasons for, for doing it. But as people have said, I mean, they, they don't have the follow-through in terms of a democratic instinct, nor, in fact, a positive vision for Brexit um, that could have um, sort of inspired people. So they, they could have talked about, you know, new freedoms and whatever, and maybe not just getting the EU off our backs, but maybe getting the state in general off our backs um, and things like that. That could have been... Um, much more inspiring, you know, but talking about oh we can trade with everybody else in the world and all that sort of stuff didn't work in the um, uh, referendum campaigns. It happened even for the Leave side, and it was never going to work um, from from uh, in this election. As it happens, I think a relatively competent Democrat, uh, technocrat could have won an overall yeah. majority. I mean, May was. Uh, and the, the way that she's organised herself, the, the, the narrow team of people around, around her, which is actually quite typical of, of modern politics, that she's just taken to an extreme, really, really backfired, particularly in the, in the, in the case of the, the discussion around social care and the fact that they made this decision to present the campaign as Theresa May's team and make, make, make it very presidential without checking, first of all, that a woman who's probably never campaigned if for anything before, probably landed a safe Tory seat, has never actually had to like front anything up in her life, was actually up to the job and she clearly wasn't. And then they made various other missteps like looking like they were dodging debates and things like that. Um, but nonetheless, I think that um, that populist mood, that, that sense that we've got to shake things up, certainly um, inspired the Corbyn campaign and, and uh, inspired an awful lot of people to sort of come out and hear what he had to say, regardless of, of the content of what he was saying, just the fact that there, there seemed to be uh, something happening and we weren't just going to accept the status quo. And I think that's a, a really positive thing. Yeah, because I, because I think, um, sort of directly uh, in response a bit to, to Jeff's point, I mean, I, I think that the Corbyn vote is... Uh, by no stretch of the imagination, a positive thing in, in, in a straightforward way. But it's completely split, that's what I'd say. So you have a situation whereby the, a lot of the increase in Labour's votes are for people like Stella Creasy, you know, arch Remainers uh, in metropolitan areas, you know, the, the Remain vote coming out, um, not explicitly saying they're anti-Brexit, but absolutely to water down Brexit. But I knew that was going to happen. We all knew that was going to happen. But what we didn't, what I didn't know was going to happen, what I didn't expect to happen, was that those voters who had broken with the Labour Party around the council elections, for example, and voted Tory in very unlikely and unusual places like the North East, like the Midlands and so on, 
I, like everybody else, thought that they would see Brexit as the be-all and end-all, which I still think they do, and vote, therefore, for the Brexit party. It's just that by the time we got to the vote, the Tories weren't the Brexit party. And so the UKIP vote is a good indication of what happened. The UKIP vote, more or less in every area, split straight down the middle because they collapsed. And so their votes didn't, in the collapse, all go to the Tories. Half of them went to the Labour Party and half of them went to the Tories. And those people absolutely are pro-Brexit. But it's just that they didn't trust... Theresa May and her Tories any more than they trusted Corbyn. And I think that in a, a range of uh, different conversations where you have people saying things like, well, after all, uh, Corbyn is pro-Brexit, Claire, isn't he? And he did tell everyone to trigger Article 50. And a bit kind of like, you know, maybe he's not so bad. And also, um, part of the uh, Brexit momentum was around living in a freer society. So, you know... Theresa May, free society, let's police the internet like it's China. You know, every authoritarian policy you could come out with and so on and so forth. So I think that that's really what we need to explain, as it were, because one of my other concerns is that I know that, um, you know, that friends of mine and colleagues and so on, um, uh, you know, are, are, are very concerned about the fate of the democratic wishes of the Brexit uh, moment um, with what's happened. And I like Jeff, fear that this could lead to a fudge and, you know, the Tories will be risk-averse and everything and all that sort of thing. But what I don't want to do is to un unduly slag off the voters of Corbyn because I think we have to explain a bit more than that and have to understand that it wasn't just one type of person who voted for Corbyn. Um, and it's certainly not a return of the northern working class voting Labour because we all know they vote for anything with the red rosette. And so the, 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 the dynamic of people feeling that they're not going to be a stage army for anyone, and I do think a lot of UKIP voters just thought, well, you know, can't just expect that we're all going to vote for you, Theresa May. Do you know what I mean? Don't take us for granted. Looking also for a positive vision, all of those things. I think Corbyn at least tapped into that a bit, as well as appealing, as obviously garnering up, not so much the Remain voters, but the fudge, you know, the fudge voters, um, or the the more concerned voters. Uh, just, I suppose, just one other thing is, is that, um, is that that thing about you know him having a vision. I've just been at a, a discussion this morning, a breakfast meeting, and people were sort of saying, you know, he comes over as more authentic, and she doesn't. And I think there's a there's a truth to that. But you know, we do know and have discussed on this podcast and at the Institute of Ideas that Brexit was a very particular expression of. The collapse of mainstream political parties internationally taking voters for granted. Something's in the ether. Something's going on. And I think in that context, this vote for Corbyn is in line, in line with that. It, 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 just, it just isn't just like, oh, Labour have got lots of votes. And I think that we have to also be careful that although they didn't win... You know, I, I also this morning were talking to a load of Tories who said, yes, but he didn't win. We won. Don't let's exaggerate. We won. The, nothing's happened. Nothing to see here. And I said, if you think nothing's happened and that there's nothing to see here, you're missing the point. So I don't want to do that either. I think we have to be honest and examine what's happened. And I have to recognise I got some bits of the reading of this election wrong and think why I did and so on and so forth.
Yeah, there is a there's definitely a sentiment it seems to be going around this morning that um, because the uh, uh, the number of seats for the Tories and the Labour Party is not that dissimilar to 2010, then there's some sort of continuity between this, and I think that's a really uh, dangerous way to look at it because uh, yes, as as Jeff has said. Um, we should recognise that this is not, despite what Corbyn is saying, a Labour victory. But at the same time, to just say it's pretty similar to 2010 is actually to miss what has actually completely changed in the intervening uh, seven years. And I think um, the the interesting thing about the, the uh, Conservative campaign and manifesto was that when I think back to a year ago and, and the result of the referendum, then in the immediate aftermath, uh, there was a sentiment, among some of us at least, that um, it wasn't just Brexit as this kind of technical process of removing us from the European Union, but that it had the capacity to reframe the way that we thought about all aspects of life. Every single thing from the economy through to uh, arts and culture through to, as uh, someone has said, freedom, we could uh, re-examine and rethink in the context of the dynamic and the drive that Brexit had created. Yet once you get to the, the Tory manifesto, I think what, what has happened is that Brexit has been separated off into this dry sort of technical process, the repeal bill, which just seems to just want to incorporate lock, stock and barrel a lot of the EU stuff into uh, uh, UK legislation. Um, and then there's all these policies somewhere over there that, have, have, that were subsequently then dis discussed in a very dry and technocratic fashion. And I mean, if you read the Tory manifesto, it is the most dry, boring, dull manifesto that I think I can remember uh, in, 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 in many a year. Um, so I think that they really missed that opportunity. And in that sense, it wasn't just that May was a, a terrible uh, uh, person to lead the campaign and that she was just supported by a very narrow team, but it was the fundamental resort into dry technocratic politi politics that I think was was a real problem. And to be fair to Corbyn, I, I think you know he recognised that there was something that he could do that was uh, he had the capacity more to relate to the electorate. And when you read his uh, the Labour Party manifesto, it's at least written in a language that uh, other human beings can understand. And some of it, uh, on the face of it, appears to be quite positive. My worry, though, was that when I did read the Labour manifesto, um, uh, despite some aspects of it being quite positive, you know, who renationalise the railways or things like that seem to be quite sensible, but a lot of the manifesto seems to be a regurgitation of new Labour politics in slightly different language. And that, I suppose, is my worry about this moment, is that is, the, is what we were, we're seeing just now, um, under a different guise, a reconsolidation of a lot of the politics that actually we've seen for the past uh, number of years? And that, 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 I, that I think, is really worrying, because um, there is, to some extent, a lot of you know, enthusiasm for the moment but you just worry that it's going to be squished under what is uh, not a very satisfactory outcome. Yeah, I mean, my personal view is the re election result, for, in terms of Brexit, which was the key thing, it's very disappointing because the Conservative Party, for all its faults, was the party that was dedicated to seeing it through. And maybe Jeremy Corbyn will, but within Labour Party, it was always much more ambiguous. But much more than that, the situation we're in now, irrespective of the parties and the people, is we're into negotiations, not smoke-free committee rooms, 
people will be negotiating. Everybody's saying that Conservatives were the Democratic Unionists, there's going to be negotiating with other people, there's no clear government. And that's where things get fudged and compromised, and you give this, we'll give that, whatever. And obviously, if you're at the European Union, you might think, what a mess, what's going on? But you'll also think, we can deal with negotiating in smoke-free rooms, because that's our raison d'etre for the rest of our lives. That's, the, that's how these things, to me, go. It's true, it's true that Labour did better than expected, although they lost, and the, and the Conservatives have to face up the fact that they didn't win the election, and they obviously lost their authority in many ways, as has Theresa May, and we're speaking here on Friday lunchtime after the election, and the impression is that in some way she's going to try to just carry on, and I, I can't see that being old relatively. I remember Ted Heath doing that many years ago, and he just ground to a halt eventually. Uh, and I can't see that lasting in that way for any length of time. But I might be wrong, that's just speculation. But that the Conservatives have suffered a setback. Certainly Theresa May has suffered a setback, and in terms of her moral authority, uh, a huge setback, and, and, and large, you know, all kinds of infighting already going on within the Conservative Party. So to just try to carry on with some unionists from, from Northern Ireland as if everything else is as it was before, uh, not going to happen. I can't, I can't see that happening for any length of time. But on the youth, I mean, it's a difficult one because obviously it's great to see young people emboldened and involved in politics. On the other hand, there was a, there's been a very active campaign for a long time from um, people who were against Brexit, all sorts of people, telling young people their future had been stolen, that they needed to enact revenge is going too strong, that they needed to get involved, do something about it, uh, 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 you know, put one over on those people who'd voted for, for Brexit, all the rest of it. And that is part of the mix of what's happened. And whilst I'm happy to say it's great that people are politically engaged and there's a high turnout in an election, you can't be willfully blind to the fact that there's the other side of it as well, where people have been mobilised, although obviously they're active agents themselves, but people have been mobilised to thwart that, that democratic will. And that is part and parcel of what's happened. We're speaking the day after the election, so we have to wait for the dust to settle and wait for things to come out. But we just can't ignore that. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I think that's right. Um, there's not really any great substance to that youth vote, although it is very noticeable that it's gone up 20, 25%. Um, and so something, something has definitely happened there. I do wonder whether there's a bit of the Tory vote that stayed at home, particularly around the social care stuff, that um, weren't willing to, uh, to come out and, and save the day in a few places. Um, I, 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 there was an interesting comment by Nicky Morgan uh, as an example of the it, sort of uh, the discussion within the Conservative Party now, which is yes, she has to stay on, she has to try and form a government and, and keep the, the ball rolling, but she can never fight another election again. And I think that that's probably a reasonable assessment. I think that they can probably um, get the EU negotiations going, but if a, a majority of twelve was too unstable to go into those negotiations, then uh, depending on the DUP to, uh, to prop you up certainly is. So they have a, a, a very um, 
shaky uh, situation uh, to try and negotiate. Yeah, I mean, I, just a couple of thoughts on the youth vote. Um, the uh, I think there's no doubt about it that one of the most unsavoury aspects of the of the mood at the moment, I don't just mean the general election campaign that's been exploited by people, has been this stirring up of generational tensions and a real, a really unpleasant attempt to, by older people to say to young people, you've been betrayed by the Wrinkleys, you know, kind of um, very much in that way. And there's also um, a, a real problem in relation to the Corbyn movement because because uh, just to stress i think it's 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 seen it's captured the moment of of seeming to be an anti-establishment pro-change party it doesn't mean it is i just mean if you're kind of on the lookout for that it it you weren't going to get it from may right and the brexit moment was what captured that and then they weren't able to see it through. And so Corbyn kind of catches that a bit. But this is an re- incredibly reactionary aspect to the Corbyn uh, 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 manifesto, but just the whole project. Pro-state, completely pro-censorship uh, of the media, as you've said, exploiting that youth uh, side and so on. So this, it's, it's kind of very unpleasant. But again, I suppose I just kind of slightly pause a bit when I have to listen to as it were, almost like the apologists and the Tories, and it's partly because I've just spent a lot of time with, you know, just been at a breakfast meeting with a load of people going on, saying, yeah, these stupid young snowflakes who get bought off by free everything and, you know, student fees, and all they want is just like... And I just thought, oh, grow up yourselves, right? I mean, this is an attempt at blaming the young voters for the fact that they failed to win an election and so even with, so I, I'm delighted that the youth were mobilised, but I would have liked the youth to have been mobilised in a more positive way than they were. But I also think that this election could have been won for a pro-Brexit Tory party, despite a huge turnout by young people. And and so, and anyway, not all young people would think the same. And if the Tories had had any gumption, they might have got a few of them round. Now, you only have to look Scotland, which is worth us probably going on to, to sort of see that things can all look very different, right? Because in Scotland, the dynamic change party that seems to have galvanised a kind of new dynamic is none other than the Conservative Party and the slightly tired establishment pro-state ooh, status quo or, or, or the SNP. Now, who'd have ever thought that? So... I think that's why I'm saying we have there's something going on that's beyond slightly the content of the party because it's the same Conservative Party in Scotland as it is in Westminster. People then start saying, yes, but she's such a gutsy, you know, she's a lesbian, she's gutsy, she's authentic and Theresa May's wooden. I just don't think it's as simple as that, right? I, I think that the dynamic in Scotland was different because the change moment was embodied by someone else that's all i think there's um what was striking about watching the results come in from scotland was actually a, a, a pro-union tactical vote because you could you saw these astonishing swings against the snp to 
either Labour or to the Conservatives. Or Lib Dem. Or Lib Dems. Yeah, so, you know, 16% uh, swings in some constituencies away from the SNP. And there was, clearly there is, uh, underpinning that is that there's a lot of people who are sick of the discussion of independence and want to get, get you know, get, move on with society. And the SNP's obsession with that um, hasn't, you know, it, it's regarded as just you know, becoming a bit tiresome now alongside the fact that actually the SNP and government haven't actually inspired them. I mean, they did pretty well in the, the last Scottish Parliament election, so it's like they've just about hung on to power um, but there is a, a real sense that, that there's some scrutiny of, of, of their uh, actual achievements and that they haven't been this like you know, di- different groundbreaking social democratic-ish uh, party at all um, so yeah, that, that tactical vote towards union it, it demonstrated a completely dynamic, different dynamic, I think, and quite an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think um, every time I've gone to Scotland over the past two or three years, I've been struck by uh, whenever I speak to people, um, especially people who were, were not SNP supporters, was just the strength of feeling about how disfiguring an experience the 2014 referendum was and the, the kind of quite, the, the viciousness of, of, of the discussion, which was often very personalised. Um, and I, I think people have reacted quite strongly against that. And I, I do think some of that sentiment has found its way into uh, to, to, to the vote this time, combined with, um, as you say, uh, the fact that the SNP have been in government now for 10 years up there, and a lot of the discussion through this campaign in Scotland has been about the fairly appalling nature of, of um, public services in Scotland, where um, the health service is uh, not in good condition, there's difficulty recruiting staff and nurses and so on and so forth. Uh, education, uh, which is always traditionally within Britain, been seen as an education system to, uh, to aspire to. Um, or, or certainly uh, one that's better than uh, elsewhere in the UK, has uh, come in for a fair amount of criticism. Things like the police service has been in a relative amount of chaos over the past few years. So I think um, you know people have come to have to uh, assess a party's record in government and there's been something of a kickback in that. Just to come back to a point that, that Claire was raising about the the discussions that you've had this morning about people, you know, people saying, "Well, the, the youth have just been bought off." I think, um, uh, in the the more right wing of the commentariat over the past uh, couple of months, they have to bear quite a lot of responsibility uh, for for the result and not getting through their favoured party in in this election. Because it just strikes me that they've. Um, neglected to engage with the political discussion of the moment and all this stuff about Corbyn and his past whether it's his economic views or uh, his relationship with the IRA or his Marxist ideas or whatever it just seems to me that that's been on their part a diversion from engaging with the important discussions of now and they should bear you know they can't just uh, hive off responsibility to the fact that the youth have been bought off. I think they failed to take up the arguments as they were there for taking up. And that's an important thing. Think we're looking at the future and what's going to happen in the future. The fact that sections of the press were running, as people were putting it, the 19, rerunning the 1983 general election or whatever, or bringing up things that happened 15, 20, 30 years ago as their main weapon against the Labour Party is, a, is obviously a very negative 
and, and, and backward looking sign rather than looking at things in the future. And I think people were either uninterested, bemused, or in some cases it probably gave Jeremy Corbyn a bit of cachet. But the, the things that were said were so out of keeping with uh, people's lived experience, it was uh, absurd. The other thing, just to point out, and particularly striking relation to Scotland, it, and the great British phenomena, is whenever there are changes and uh, re rebirths of political parties or reinvigoration as have happened with various parties in Scotland during its election, it always happens through the traditional parties. So the idea that the Conservative Party, which was wiped out uh, and totally discredited in Scotland after the era of Margaret Thatcher, has now almost has almost quite trendy, but it has a certain something about it is a sign and it's come back as the Scottish Conservative Party with a different leader and a slightly different image, but it's the same party and the same a bit with the Liberal Democrats and possibly even with the Labour Party. And, and again, the Labour Party had a mission, you know, representing Labour, as it's called, for many, many years. Tony Blair came along, did his thing the third way, that sort of faded out. Now Corbyn's taken over the Labour Party with his group, but they're they're taking over these old parties, reinvigorating them with a different purpose for a particular time, and then moving on. But it's all happening through the structures of the old parties. Whereas in most European countries, when there are changes like this, new parties emerge, things happen uh, in different ways. And it's, it's, very, it's always peculiar how in Britain you have often a very different phenomena, but they happen within the same traditional party structure, so they look like it's almost the same thing when often it isn't. Yeah, I mean, that's a, I think that's a very useful point. I mean, uh, going, and going back to the terrorism stuff, absolutely bizarre that that became one of the major sticks to beat Corbyn with when most of those 18 to 24-year-olds that were going to turn around and vote for him were either not born or were barely conscious, probably starting infant school when all this stuff with the uh, IRA was going on, or uh, by the time the Good Friday Agreement was signed, in fact, long after... The, the, the ceasefire, so an absolutely bizarre line of arguments take uh, against him. So, uh, just to conclude, what do we think is going to happen next? Um, uh, is, is this a, a stable arrangement? Will Corbyn uh, can go from strength to strength, or is, he, is this a one-off high-watermark protest votes? What do we think? I think that the... Um, I think that... One of the problems is is that um, Corbyn's Labour Party are, are, are no more uh, capable of understanding this than the right-wing commentary that Jeff has just um, maligned for their interpretation of events. So, you know, some people really think they're kind of reliving some revolutionary moment. Some of the people who've been around Corbyn are the ones who've been shouting 1933 fascism in terms of Brexit, um, you know, uh, Nazis around every corner. And now they're kind of like manning barricades and think it's all, you know, Rosa Luxemburg's going to be, you know what I mean? It's all that kind of thing. And you do think that, so they don't understand their own uh, success. And their success is very contradictory. So I've already mentioned a, a, a number of the most prominent um, anti Corbyn. Blairite Ramonas got huge, huge, huge mandates in London at the same time as these remarkable results that happened around the country that people weren't expecting. And 
one of the Labour Party people that I was talking to this morning made the point that 60 to 70 um, Labour MPs thought they were going to lose their jobs, really thought they were going to lose their jobs, and now they haven't, so there'll be a kind of loyalty to Corbyn based on the fact that they didn't lose their jobs, but not an ideological one, and nobody knows what the Labour Party is going to look like. But to just think of it as kind of like a left-wing victory, as the likes of Paul Mason is saying, is deluded, right? It's just not that at all. So in that sense, I think the Labour Party is in a very unstable position, but it, it will ride high for so long, it'll last a while at least, right? So that's one thing. I just think that the 1922 committee, effectively the kind of internal um, Tory party committee, are basically told Theresa May she has to stay on. I mean, she might want to go if she's not. She, she has to stay on to front it. She's lost all her moral authority. And I think it is up to those of us who uh, want to ensure that Brexit happens that we just absolutely make the fuss about Brexit. And also, by the way, hold the Labour Party to account for this because I think that because of Corbyn's slightly Brexity outlook, um, the Labour Party have got away with murder on this. And just we should just note the collapse of UKIP, hurrah, the Greens humiliated, apart from in Brighton, which sums it up, but in everywhere else, just kind of losing deposits left, right and centre. Nick Clegg losing his seat, hurrah, you know, the greatest remote... I mean, obviously, he'll never be off the telly now because he'll have nothing better to do, but he's never been off the telly in the recent period of representing the... Uh, and so you, the Lib Dem... Uh, uh, remain progressive alliance uh, failed and we should absolutely make the most of, uh, of that uh, phenomena and I think we should celebrate the, the, the breakup of the SNP one party state in Scotland but what, what I think is really on the table is the fact that the and the, bit, the only bit I wanted to celebrate because I don't want to over romanticise is, is that the electorate the democratic process the demos have found their, have twitched their muscles, as they say, and have discovered that you can change things in politics. And I don't think I want to be churlish about the fact that sometimes they want to change things in ways I don't like, uh, because only a couple of years, only a year ago, they didn't want to change anything at all or didn't think change was possible. So I think that now that that question of change is on the table, for certainly for um, you know us in terms of the Battle of Ideas Festival and all that, this means that politics really matters now. All of these discussions have to be really, really thrashed out. So come the next election or in any kind of a discussion around what kind of Brexit we want, that actually we're all debating it and discussing it and creating that atmosphere because I think there's a real appetite for it. So in that sense, I celebrate a democratic moment and the unpredictability of an electorate that won't be told what to do by anyone. Yeah, I, the, the, the point about Labour, I, I was really struck by... Um, the BBC in their election coverage at one point had Alistair Campbell and Paul Mason on together kind of basking in the glow of the fact that Labour had done better than expected but what a weird combination Paul Mason going on about you know, the left wing surges and all this kind of stuff and um, Alistair Campbell you know despises everything that Paul Mason stands for in so many ways um, how to cheer the same thing so you can see that there's going to be lots of tension there and the idea that the Corbyn Easter, sort of the Corbyn backstabbers on the back benches are, are going to stay away for, for the whole of this parliament it just seems to me to be um, irrational or unlikely to occur
Yeah, I mean, it was barely midnight last night, uh, and already you started to have the likes of Will Hutton and uh, that ilk, um, you know, really starting to probe whether they could pull Brexit apart. And I, th- I think the problem that Labour's got, is, as, as you say, Rob, is is that division still exists, and it cannot be uh, covered over, I don't think. And, and sooner or later, uh, that's going to start to pull apart, because what happens when... Um, the, the, the Remain side start to uh, take advantage of the instability of, of government. Um, how is Corbyn going to keep the people that he's brought back into his coalition, as it were, last night? So I, I, I can see real problems there. And I think uh, one thing that we absolutely know about the Labour Party is its loyalty is just not a word that uh, <laughs> they've kind of ever heard of. I think on the other side, um, I mean, I'd already drawn the conclusion pretty much that um, even if uh, Theresa May and the Tories had won with a big majority, uh, that didn't necessarily mean that Brexit was going to proceed in the way that any of us might like to see it, because I think the U-turn on the dementia tax was just a really, really telling moment in that She's uh, someone that uh, has no stomach for the fight, really. How on earth was she going to be able to stand up uh, to the uh, team negotiating, negotiating with her on the other side of the table? So I think it was always going to be the case um, that Brexit was only ever going to be achieved satisfactorily uh, through the involvement of the demos, uh, the continued involvement of the demos right the way through uh, those negotiations. And I think, in a way, uh, that's still the case. Is 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 that um, even although I agree with Jeff that you know things will there'll be a tendency to stitch things up behind closed doors that we have to sort of force ourselves into the discussion and use uh, opportunities like the festival battle of ideas to to bring some of those discussions right to the forefront of people's minds. I would just say finally, in terms of the election itself, the, we haven't discussed, we discussed Scotland, but there are a lot of interesting regional variations that have happened. And watching the London news this morning, which was just anti-Brexit glee mm. from all these people elected saying, right, this is it, people don't want it, we're going to stop it, whatever. That was the tone of it in, in London because of the nature of, of what's happened. I can understand that's what new MPs are, are saying in different parts of the country in more northern areas, people are voting Labour and they still think, well, Brexit's still going to happen because Corbyn says so. So there are all these different variations, things which will work themselves through and we haven't yet got a government. But that's important. Also, there's a point about Sheffield Hallam, which uh, Nick Clegg has lost. But when I lived in Sheffield, that was a safe Tory seat. And it's the only middle class seat in South Yorkshire. And now, Labour have won it. There are a lot of students there but it shows that despite all the things about Jeremy Corbyn and what a dangerous man he is, large, very large sections of the middle class have no reservation about voting for him uh, and, and voting for his party for whatever reason. And that's also notable, particularly somewhere like Sheffield Hallow, which was always the Tory island in South Yorkshire. And Kensington, so, I think. Yeah, and I mean, Kensington yeah. has just, just gone Labour uh, in, in similar, similar things. So it's interesting times. For those of us who are followers and commentators on politics, it's very interesting, but to me, very dangerous waters. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Claire, Alistair and Jeff. Um, 
I hope you found these uh, first impressions very useful. We will certainly be coming back to the um, fallout from this election on the podcast um, next week. Um, but in the meantime, if you enjoy this podcast, check out some more at instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast. Uh, and you can also sign up to uh, subscribe to the podcasts on iTunes. Thank you very much.